So what do you say? Should I get to preach in here? Sound good? Um, I read something this week that was of interest to me. And uh, on BBC News, and I read it at a number of other outlets, there was a, uh, a gathering on Friday night of witches, self-proclaimed witches from around the country, to cast a spell on our president, which is really interesting. And the thing that was interesting to me about this was that our passage today talks about a magician, a, a sorcerer named uh, Simon. So I, I saw that headline, and I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. I'll read this article and see what it says. And they used uh, actually some of the language uh, in their, uh, their ceremony that some Christians use when they talk about spiritual warfare. Things like binding, word like binding and loosing. Um, and I just couldn't help but laugh that uh, part of the ceremony was an unflattering picture of the president, and, and the end of it, there was an optional, you could say, you're fired. <laughs> just kind of funny. It's, like a, the, it's only funny to me, but you guys are creeped out by this, I understand. But I, just, I thought it was funny that that's an optional. You can do like the apprentice thing. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. But the thing that was most interesting to me was that uh, they talked about people that are not, not witches who are Christians. A large number of Christians were part of this, I guess. And, uh, and, they, and they, there was a great deal of dialogue about how Christian practices are the, kind of the same as magic practices. Because Christians will do things like recite Psalm 23. And they, they said, you know, this is the same thing we're doing, essentially. Essentially flattening the the ground and saying, it's all the same, whether it's sorcery, magic, witchcraft, or Christianity, we're all doing the same thing. And that was kind of the thrust of, of what they were saying. And uh, I do remember my mom once reciting Psalm 23 with great terror as we went up into a tethered hot air balloon. My mom was terrified. <laughs> I was a kid, I was like 10 years old, and she got on her knees in the basket. I don't know why she decided to do it in the first place, but she was so terrified She's like, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, she was really, really scared. But got, this whole thing got me thinking, as much as it might creep you out, and it, you know, it's creepy, you know, could be creepy. If you, um, uh, it, something caught my attention, and that is that in a, in a number of books that I read where people from the outside of Christianity look into Christianity, they refer to our worldview as a magical worldview. And so everyone sort of flattens the spiritual landscape and says, you know, People that are superstitious, they believe in magic stuff, you know, whether it's witchcraft or Christianity, it's all kind of the same. They have a magical worldview. So I, I got to thinking to myself, what makes our faith as Christians different from, you know, something like witchcraft or are other people with a magical worldview? And, and very simply, you know, what I've come, come to in this, as I've thought about this, uh, you might think I'm crazy for thinking about this stuff, but I thought about this. Magic and, mir- and miracles are different, uh, differ in their source. Magic has either a human or a demonic source. That's what magicians do. They're calling on demons, calling on Satan, talking about those kinds of things. Or, or maybe they're, they're calling on something inside of them to come out. So they, they, magic has human, humans or uh, demonic stuff as a source, but miracles are a supernatural work of the one true God revealed uh, clearly in Jesus Christ. So magic, in a way, draws from a power that's not directly from God. It, it circumvents the process and says, there is no God, we make these things happen by our own magical arts. 
And magic is an attempt to find a way around God in the, acqui- in, in the acquisition of knowledge or power. So people trying to get knowledge or power outside of God it becomes a very dark thing. Uh, and, it, and it, you know, it's something that, that we call magic. But when, when we talk about the supernatural, when we talk about the miraculous, we are looking to the source, to God, to do things. We're not looking to ourselves or some other power. And uh, the Bible teaches that we need to very carefully guard our lives, that we be looking to God alone and trusting in God alone. And anytime people circumvent that and try to get away from God in any area of their life, it doesn't have to be something blatant like witchcraft or sorcery or these kinds of, or, or even a humanistic kind of uh, self, you know, self-help stuff. Anytime you take your eyes off the source, God, you're in trouble. Because that, what separates us from other people, even though, even though the world tries to flatten it and say, oh, they're all just superstitious, crazy people, we're looking to the one true God to work. It's kind of like the thing I thought about in worship today was um, magic and the magic arts and those kinds of things. It's like having a little motorboat with a motor, and you turn it, you make it go around. You are relying on yourself to somehow manipulate the cosmos or demonic powers to bend to your will, to give you knowledge or power. And a Christ, what a Christian is, is like a sailboat, we're just sitting out there, and we put up our sail, and we wait with expectation for God to move. But fundamentally, we believe it's God who moves, and we can't manipulate God. God does what God wants. And, you know, the difference between my mom reciting Psalm 23 and someone casting a spell on someone else is, is very clear, you know. One is looking to, presumably, God for protection and waiting like a sailboat for the wind to catch the sail and to drive that boat. And one is saying, I'll do my own thing. Uh, you know, think about... And it's, it's much deeper than simply in the area of magic or in the supernatural. Um, anytime we circumvent God, anytime we try to get around God to get a desired result, it ends in disaster. It really does. Um, if you just, all you have to do is think about the nature of addiction to understand that. Addiction is a little motorboat, you know? It's saying, I'm not going to put my sails up and wait, wait on God to deliver me. I am going to circumvent God, and I'm going to get to the desired end myself. And for many people, that ends in destruction, you know, literal destruction of their bodies. And uh, many of us are not a stranger to those things, uh, those, those types of things. Anytime we try to get around God, um, we lose, and, uh, and this, this article really got me thinking between the way that the, world, the people on the outside of the church talk about the faith, they try to flatten it. But there's a big, big difference between someone who's looking to and waiting on God, the object of their faith, like a sailboat, or someone who's saying, I'm going to do this in my own power and make this happen. Just kind of a little bit of uh, something to chew on as we go into today's passage. So, yes, I have a supernatural worldview, but not a magical one. And actually, what I call the supernatural is when I, when I pray in line with God's will that he would set things right. And so really, if you want to go really deep with this, our faith is not a supernatural faith. The most natural state of the world is peace, harmony, no disease, no broken relationships, uh, no grieving, no mourning, no pain. That's the natural state for humans. 
But we live in a world that has sin in it, and so it goes, it goes in the other direction. When God breaks in and does something to like heal someone who's sick or to restore a marriage or to um, save someone from, from their sins, it's actually the most natural thing in the world. It brings someone into a, the, the way it was supposed to be. And so it's, kind of, it's an interesting thing to think about. When we pray and we ask God to move and work, we're praying in line with God's will, like what, what we know he would already want. And, uh, and when he moves and acts, he's actually bringing the world into greater order than it was in before. So we shouldn't be surprised when God does miracles. We should praise God. We should, we should thank God for that, and we should uh, always allow our hearts to be pointed to Jesus. But it's not magic. It's just God. It's God's work. And that's a big difference. So today, changing gears slightly, but we'll get back to that stuff later, the big question is, how is your heart doing, you know, before God? Or more poignantly, I like the image, what are you filled with? One of the, one of the spiritual laws seems to be that uh, we need to be emptied before we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, in a way. And I'm not talking about emptying yourself of your personality, of, of, of your God-given attributes, your gifts, your individuality, your unique nature. Not, not talking about that. I'm talking about emptying ourselves of, of sin, emptying ourselves of, uh, you know, through Jesus, those things that would, that would keep us from the fullness of life that God has to offer his children. So what are you filled with is the question. And, the, and we know the will of God is that we be filled with the Spirit of God. And so that's kind of what we're looking at this morning. And we're looking at it through Acts 8, 1 to 25. So one of the first things I want to highlight before we get into today's passage is going back to Acts 1, 8. We have God's clearly revealed will and plan. You know, what God was trying to do, and something that hadn't happened yet, but this was God's will, and we're going to see him accomplish it a little further today. This is Acts 1.8, and it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when this was written, it's not radical to us, but when this was written, as we've been talking about, uh, the good news was only for Hebrew Jewish people. The good news had not gone to Samaria or Judea or to the ends of the earth. Gentiles, non-Jewish people, were not included at this time when this was, was said, uh, for the most part. And certainly, uh, Samaritans who were hated, there was enmity between Jewish Hebrews and Samaritans who they considered to be less than full-blooded Jewish people. You remember the Samaritans we talked about last week were, uh, were colonized by um, Babylon, I believe, and they were forced to intermarry with the Babylonians, and so it resulted in a race where their blood was not 100% Jewish, Hebrew. And so they were, as people often do when they're behaving badly, they were looked down on by the dominant, uh, pure-blooded uh, Hebrew Jews. So this vision of Jesus, that the good news of the kingdom is going to be going to uh, not only Jerusalem, where the Hebrew Jews are, but to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, is groundbreaking stuff. 
And what we see in Acts is this vision unfolding. But I'm not, I'm sure that it was a huge adjustment for everybody to, to realize this isn't just for us. This is for the whole world. Uh, it's not just for Hebrews, and it's not just this patriotic thing like he's our God and no one else's, which was the mindset of the time. But this God is a God for all the peoples of the earth. And I think that everyone knew this in the back of their minds, but they were waiting with bated breath to see how it would play out. And, I'm not, and I don't think it was without its challenges. Because people are people. People do what people do. But this Acts 1-8 vision is God's will and God's work. It was not of human origin. If the humans had it their way, it would just be this monocultural thing that as they had been doing for uh, centuries. Uh, but God was unfolding something different. And today we're going to see the good news going to the Samaritans. In Acts 8, 1 to 25, we're going to see uh, some uh, magic, a magician named Simon, uh, and we're going to see how God reconciles this guy to himself. Um, and one, one thing that's really interesting, I had this whole vision of magic versus uh, the kingdom of God in my head this week. And thinking about how God's will unfolds, these people were doing, were, God says in Acts 1.8, the gospel goes to Judea, Samaria, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. When the disciples are going forth and doing this uh, in power, it's not of human origin. This is a mission they were getting on board with. In other words, this mission is the wind they were the sailboats. And I think that they were nervous about the gospel going to everybody, particularly to the Gentiles. All bets are off. The Gentiles have the good news. They don't have to become Jews to become believers. That's God's vision. And it certainly is a wind blowing into their sails. But it's not of human origin. They didn't just get together and decide, this is going to Samaria, to Judea, to the ends of the earth. That was God's idea. And so everything that follows in the miraculous, the miraculous things God does, Yes, that they're seeking God for something that he's declared already is his will, and they're even stepping out in faith because it probably wasn't comfortable for them. They were used to being monocultural in their worship. And so, in, in a way, this whole passage and what happens is the opposite of magic. It's, it's the will of God and people putting up their sails and saying, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to let myself be blown the way that the master wants to blow me uh, and push me. So Acts 8... We're going to start right after that last sentence. Um, it says this. On that day, and the day is when Stephen was executed, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So Saul is, we're going to find out, is the Apostle Paul. But at this time, he was called Saul the Terrible by most people because he was going around killing and dragging off people who were Christians. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So it looks like God saw this as a missionary journey, not as a persecution. God said, this is a good way to get the word out. We'll have them pushed out of uh, Jerusalem. So Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. 
So here Philip is participating fully in God's will from Acts 1.8 to bring the gospel to Samaria. And because he was in line with God's will, putting up his sails, God, God, the finger of God, was delivering people from demonic oppression, healing people, and the signs were, were undeniable. They were so impressive, in fact, they impressed a man named Simon. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. That's kind of a synonym for saying this man is God, in a way. Uh, It's uh, quite a claim. (laughs) They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery, But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So this man, who was like the most impressive magician sorcerer in town, he saw what what Philip was doing and said, this is different, this is amazing. And he actually, you know, uh, at least partially gave his life to Christ, and was baptized, okay? So Simon was baptized. He followed Philip everywhere. He was amazed by the miracles. He's like, I know miracles. These are different. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. So the top, the top brass, Peter and John, the top disciple guys, were sent to Samaria. And when they arrived they said, you can't become believers because you guys are Samarians. No, they didn't do that. Maybe in their flesh, some, some Hebrew Jews would have felt that way, but they were sailboats. They were saying, we know this is God's will. We're going to let God blow this ship where he wants to. And so they, they basically authenticated with their authority this new movement of God into Samaria. They prayed for the new believers. They blessed them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, the gears began to turn (laughs) in his head. He said, hmm, I'm going to offer you guys some money. Give me also this ability so everyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. You see, Simon thought they were doing magic. He thought they, had, they were doing a deeper magic than he had known. He wanted this ability not to do signs that point to Jesus Christ, which is what the apostles were doing, in line with the will of God established in Acts 1.8. He wanted this ability because he thought it was super-duper cool. And it was cool, but uh, this was not a very good idea, as we will soon see. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. This is a prophetic thing. God revealed it to to Peter as he was speaking to him that this guy's heart was tied up. It was not right. He may have believed on some level and even been baptized. He wasn't fully on board. He was misunderstanding this thing. And then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. 
After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So there's two big things I want to pull out of this text and leave you with today. Uh, Maybe three. I mean, the first is, you know, the work of God is in line with God's will, and we participate in that through prayer and putting up our sail and saying, God, we, we believe, we want the same, the same objectives you do. Use us. Fill us with your spirit. Take us where you may to spread the gospel. That's a, whole, that's, that's a, that's a yielded perspective. And God, the, the wind of God, is blowing throughout the world looking for sails of people who are yielded to God. And through that, many miraculous signs and things happen. And if you've heard this word, signs and wonders, miraculous sign means it's a sign that points to Jesus Christ as being the Savior. Because ultimately, people that are, are uh, sick and need to be healed, people that are you know, blind and need to see, this is a temporary healing at best. They're going to live for another 30 years, and then they're going to die. Lazarus got raised from the dead, and then he died. He's not still alive. If he was, we'd all know about it. But the sign of healing points to Jesus Christ as Savior so that when a person dies, though they die, they live in Christ through the the sacrifice of Jesus. Their soul lives. And and because Jesus rose from the dead, those who identify with Christ in this way will also rise from the dead and be with God in his kingdom. So magic versus versus the work of God through, through the miraculous, totally different things. And one is a sign that points to God. One is a manipulation, trying to get powers or, hum- or human you know, will and charisma together to make something happen. It's, it's a motorboat. It's not connected to God. And when, anytime we try to circumvent or get around God to get to something else, it's a bad news day for us. So that's the first thing, as I've said before. And the, the second thing is, and I love Olive Garden, who says, when you're here, you're family. These Christians from Samaria, they, were, they, they, they came to Christ, and this was, again, by the will of God, as expressed in Acts 1.8, and the top brass of the Hebrew Jewish people, the first thing they did was come right over and lay hands on them. And what they were saying socially was, you are full-blooded members of God's family. And that was a big deal in, the, in a time when there was uh, prejudice and even racism. Uh, they were, in a sense, repenting of this worldview that says, my God is for my culture only. And they were saying, even these hated and despised Samaritans that my people have oppressed, they are the real deal. When you're here, you're family. And we know, I want you to read this this week, Matthew 20, 1 to 16. Read this, okay? Workers paid equally. The parable from Jesus. You get hired at the beginning of the day to do a job, and then there wasn't enough uh, workers, so they go out, they get some more people in the middle of the day. Wasn't enough workers. They go out and get some people right before quitting time. And then when they all line up to get paid by the master, he pays them all the same amount of money. When you're here, your family, uh, whether you've been a Christian for one day or for your lifetime, we are all full-fledged members of God's family. And it's because he's so generous. He can do what he wants with his money, right? And that's how God is. And, that's, and you know, it might be something that irks us a little bit because we think, haven't I, haven't I earned my, my keep? No, you haven't. Jesus paid for it, so we're all equal. Sorry. And anything we do is just a gifted response for what Jesus did. Um, so that's one thing. When you're here, 
your family. And, uh, and the second thing is, um, when, it comes to, when it comes to the miraculous, or when it comes to just your everyday life, you want to be a sailboat, not a motorboat. Anytime you try to get around God to get something, uh, it's, it's bad news. Whether it's magic or whether it's, you know, any, any number of things. You can, you can just relate this to your whole life very easily. And this misunderstanding that Simon had where he thought, I can buy this power and then I can do this cool thing, that wasn't, that wasn't a good thing. That was circumventing God, trying to get around God. But what God was concerned about with Simon was his heart. And God said, through Peter, you have no part in this ministry because your heart is not right before me. And for us, the important thing isn't anything special we may take, take part in as far as the kingdom of God goes. The most important thing, uh, as we've seen from our time in Scripture, is that our hearts be right before God. So the question this morning is, is your heart twisted in a way? You might be saved or even baptized, but your heart's twisted and, and there's just something not quite right between you and God. And that is the most important thing to God, that that be straightened out. Um, and the second thing is, you know, if you've made your heart right before God, like Simon, um, have you yielded your life to God fully? So that whatever's filling you up is the, as far as things that we use to get around God or circumvent God in our lives, whatever's filling you up is emptied out. And you say, God, here I am. I am a sailboat. I'm no longer going to be a motorboat. Um, fill me with your wind. Fill me with your spirit that I might walk in this new life. Those are the, those are the questions I feel God asking from this text. So I'm going to, I want to uh, offer a time of, of reflection this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team uh, to come up, and they're going to play a song. And I want this to be your time with God. It talks about God transforming us from the inside out. And in the moments we have left, ask these two questions. Is my heart right before God, which is the most important thing? Or is it, is it twisted in some way like Simon's was, misunderstanding uh, what's going on? And secondly, am I yielded to the wind of the Spirit? Not that I conjure up tricks to make things happen in my life, but that I go to God, the source, and he blows into my life and fills my sails and pushes me where he wants to go. And, and it's all about him and not about me, not about my will being imposed, but God's will coming forward. So this song is, is about being transformed from the inside out. And I just encourage you, if you'd like to respond to God this morning, to just come forward and uh, join me in the front row here. And we will pray together. Heavenly Father, as a church, you know, we want to be a sailboat caught by your wind and pushed in your direction according to your will. So we yield ourselves to you. Lord, use us uh, to accomplish your will. Help us to get beyond our manipulations and how we try to make things happen. And and allow us to just fill uh, with your spirit and fill with your wind and blow in the direction that you are taking us, that your kingdom might come in Saratoga Springs and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dispersed. Go and be the church.